0: Welcome in, everybody. David Eichel, Sean Bach here, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the SwarmCast, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. It's been a few days, but we're happy to be back. The number five Hawkeyes, 3-0, and heading in back to Kinnick Stadium this week as they host Colorado State. But before we get to that, Sean and I are going to talk about kind of our reactions to the Kent State game. A uh, little bit of a slower game, Sean, but uh, I guess we'll start right at the top. How are you doing, man?
1: Yeah, I'm doing well, Dave. I'm pretty... Pretty good weekend. You know, school is kind of, you know, full full blast right now. So time management's kind of been an interesting uh, dynamic, interesting hurdle over the past few days, over the past few weeks. But, you know, I've been good. It's kind of – I'm ready to get back into conference play, honestly. The last yeah. – I mean, Iowa State obviously was a lot of hype going into this game. But, you know, Kent State and Colorado State have kind of been just a different feel that – you know, is not. I wouldn't say a bad thing, but it's just not the same as, you know, going into Indiana or Iowa State.
0: I'll say this too, Sean. Only one more semester of that schoolwork. Yeah, time management will be nice for you uh, once that once that final hurdle clears through. Are yeah. you uh, you gonna walk? Yeah. Why wouldn't I? I don't know. A lot of people don't. I did just for like, hey, look, I actually believe it or not, I actually did graduate. That was kind of my idea. Yeah,
1: I'm not. I'm not worried about that. I'm just. I don't know why I'm complaining, but like my homework has been like watching movies and like recapping them. So
0: I don't know. It could be a lot worse. I could be.
1: I could be in law school. I could be in pharmacy school. I could be in doing God knows what. So it's
0: actually like contributing to society other than what we do.
1: <laughs> I mean, we contribute to society, you uh, know.
0: Yeah, you know. I, I mean, the important stuff, I guess. But uh, it's fair. No, Sean, so thinking back to Saturday, I mean, a really slow start. I mean, was not the most eye-popping, pretty game of college football to watch, for sure. Uh, A lot of storylines, I think, to get to. Let's start right at the top. Let's go takeaways on offense. We'll flip over the defensive side. Obviously, it was not a real highlight-worthy day passing the ball. It was efficient, but wasn't the eye-popping, flashy court plays that I think fans wanted to see against the Kent State. I mean, Petras put together a nice performance. I mean, 25 of 36 for, I believe, 207 yards, a touchdown. Was capped off by that 48-yarder to Nico Regani when he stopped inside the five-yard line. So that was good to see, just that they did take a shot downfield. But a lot of checkdowns, a lot of stuff to Sam Laporta. But I think for me, Sean, one of the positives is they did get Tyrone Tracy involved. And they made it an active part to say, hey, we know you're one of our top playmakers. We, we didn't get you the ball the first couple of games, whether it be by design or teams covering you up, but like we want you to know that you're still a very big part of this team. And the only way that this offense reaches its potential is for Tyrone Tracy to get the ball. And obviously Tyler Goodson, I think, lived up to any expectations that people had for him heading into this one.
1: Yeah, those are big pluses. And while the Iowa or the Kent state defensive line um, is not the defensive line or, pass rush that Iowa State or Indiana has I really I really liked what I saw from the offensive line especially in pass protection situations I thought Mason Richmond had his best game at left tackle when it came to pass blocking Um, I thought his run blocking was you know okay but I thought overall the pass protection was really good and you know that's an area where he really struggled especially against Iowa State Tyler Linderbaum was his usual self I thought You know, the run plays were a lot smoother when Connor Colby was in the game at right guard, not to knock on Justin Britt, but because he had a pretty good game as well. But I thought Colby was a real, did a really good job of moving that Kent State defensive line back. And I've been really impressed with him at that right guard spot. I know that's where Kyler Shots can end up playing when he gets back, when he's fully back, which is the hope is that he's going to be fully back for conference play, but because he's kind of – you know, I know he played on Saturday, but he's still a little banged up from what I've heard and, you know, not fully 100%. Yeah, and, and
0: what, well, what, 19 snaps on Saturday?
1: Yeah, um, it was 19, yep. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, He uh, when he gets back, I think this offensive line is going to be that much more – good or solid Uh, I was trying to think of a better adjective but (laughs) I think the pass I thought college shot picked up right where he left off with pass protection now it's gonna be completely different when they face you know teams like Penn State um, and even Wisconsin at times but I thought the offensive line this is a game that they really needed to not only get you know confidence from internally but you know even Spencer Petrus. I know and even Tyler Goodson I know that Spencer Peters is going to like ride or die for his offensive line. But, you know, if, if I, if, if he's a human, then he's definitely like, okay, like, I need these guys to like play well. Cause I don't want to get hit. I don't want to fear for my life every time I'm in the pocket. I was say, and insert I the Kevin
0: Hart meme help me. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> yeah. He's
1: not going to show it, but you know, he's probably thinking it at times and, you know, I thought this offensive line did a really good job of delivering and, staying consistent throughout the game
0: no and I think you're right I mean I think Connor Colby not that there's any real doubters about him but I mean he, he's legitimately making a, a, a case for that starting spot I mean he's been impressive he's been getting better and better each game I think the thing that stood out to me Sean yeah it's against a Mac defense which I mean Kent State's gonna do fine in the Mac but their defense is not what's gonna guide them it's gonna be that high fast-paced tempo and that quarterback really impressed me too I mean Crom delivered some darts and then I'll tell you for a while, it really looked like, uh, Abram was going to go David Bell, especially in that first half because he was absolutely torching the Iowa secondary, but no sacks allowed. That was a big stat for me on 36 passes. We're not including the Tory Taylor one. We'll, we'll get to that fake in a, in a bit. Uh, but no sacks allowed, six tackles for loss. I mean, those are winning numbers. You can live with that as an offensive line and as an offense. I mean, you're going to keep your quarterback clean and you have a running back like Tyler Goodson, you know, continuing to get the job done. And I know people want to rag on Brian Ference for his play calling and whether it be too conservative at times. I mean, yeah, I thought there was a lot of screens. I thought they overly used screens. I would like to see them take some 50, 50 shots downfield a bit more just to show the receivers like, Hey, we got confidence in you. We're going to throw it downfield, go get it, proved to us that we can do this more often. But I think you need to get, Brian Ferentz, a lot of credit for that first touchdown because that was such a great play call because Iowa has been so notorious for that fullback dive or that quarterback sneak and to fake that fullback dive when Kent State had 10 people in the box, they had the one guy on the outside, but once the linebacker squeezed in and Petrus pitched the ball off to Goodson, I mean, Sean, you or I maybe could have scored that. I mean, there was really nobody that was anywhere near it. I think that was such a big play call. And big confidence booster for Goodson who hadn't really broken off that big, a big run uh, since week one against Indiana. Yeah. He had some nice runs against Iowa state, you know, 10 plus yards, but that was his first big, big run. And I think that really set him up uh, for a successful day. And I really think that that really juiced up the offensive line going down the stretch.
1: Yeah. We, we want to mention the run game too, a little bit, obviously the positive was Tyler Goodson getting him going Um, those two big runs that he had for touchdowns and, could have had maybe one or – or he had three touchdowns, but could have maybe had another long one had he not lose his footing or um, was ankle tackled. But, yeah, he, he looked really good, really elusive. And this was the type of game where, you know, you want to build on stuff, and that's what Iowa did, and that's really all you could ask for. Now you mentioned the passing game. I'd like to see a couple more shots downfield, but, you know, if they can do what they did offensively and do it efficiently – then, you know, I don't I don't see a reason why to really complain about it all that much. I thought it was a really, a really productive performance for the most part. Now you want to be able to finish drives and you know put up explosive chunk plays, but you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. I thought Kent State did a decent job of covering those guys downfield. Remember that Kent State came into this game with eight interceptions yep. too on the year leading the country so you know maybe they were being like okay I think Iowa might try and take some deep shots on us but so we're gonna have to really stick on the receivers and they did a good job I mean I don't remember Charlie Jones being targeted much and he was Iowa's leading receiver against Iowa State Um, and even Tyrone Tracy didn't really get a ton of huge plays now he got he got involved in the passing game more but Nico Reganey was really the only play that comes to mind where Iowa picked up a lot of where it was, like, considered a chunk play yeah. in the air attack. And real quick, before we before we move on to the defense, I think the one concern I have is definitely Ivory Kelly-Martin yeah. um, really and great. how he's – yeah, and how he could carry on to the ball. I, I've really liked Ivory and what I've seen from him and how explosive he is um, off his carry and when he gets the ball off the line of scrimmage. But, you know, every – like, every time you see someone coming in hard to, like, going at the ball, you kind of hold your breath a little bit considering what the past three games have been like I mean he had the f- he had the fumble at against Indiana he had the one that was nearly a fumble against Iowa State and then he had two on, on Saturday like he just started yeah. got notifications so I was looking different but just didn't just coughed it up and Sam LaPorter recovered the other one so it, yeah it was kind of a uh, that was kind of the one thing that worries me a little bit about the run game going forward. I thought Gavin Williams was pretty good. I know he had, I think he had like seven touches and like eight snaps or something like that. So I thought, you know, that's what you could ask as all you could ask for from him and thought he showed good ability, you know, just go between the guards, go between the tackles and just get those extra yards and same thing in the passing game as well. But I'd really like to see Ivory Kelly Martin produce cause I know Goodson's give me the lead back, but Kelly Martin needs to be a factor in it as well.
0: I think it was a good thing for Gavin Williams too. not even just running the ball, but I mean, he had three catches for 14 yards. And that was, I think one of his big knocks entering college is, can he catch the football? And I thought he did, I thought he did a nice job. He was running crisp routes and he, you know, he was, you could tell how hard he was holding to that football when he was running. I mean, he had two hands on it probably the entire time kept turning for, I did ask Kirk Ferentz about Ivory Kelly Martin after the game. And I was impressed. He, he did give a good answer. He said, I'm going to tell him to keep his chin up. Just get, I just got done telling him to do that. He's going to be fine. He's a top-quality guy. And something that stood out to me, Sean, was Kirk said, you noticed that Ivory got selected as a captain this week. Well, that's not voted by us. That's voted by the players. So I think that shows the importance that Ivory brings to the table far beyond the football field. But if we're speaking strictly on the football field, like you said, Sean, that one against Iowa State was nearly a turnover. that would be four fumbles and 22 carries. You you can't have that, especially with the way Iowa's offense is playing. You cannot make those sort of mistakes. You can't make any mistakes to put them in a position to win. For as elite as their defense and special teams has been this year. Iowa football does not win by turning the ball over. And I know how you know you can say that for everybody in the nation, but Iowa doesn't have that explosive offense that some other teams do. And I get I think that's a good point about the interception numbers for Kent State going downfield. I think people just want to see Iowa's passing offense get to that next level. Because I've said this, too, and I'll stick by it. Iowa's ceiling is limited if they can't find a way to unlock that second level of passing offense. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, championships, you know, defense wins championships. But passing attack wins championships in college football. that That's just the reality of it, that especially over the last decade. Iowa's got to find a way to get it done. I think they have the talent to win the Big Ten. Are they going to be able to do it? I think that's uh, that remains to be seen. So, the one thing I do want to mention real quick, Sean Brady, flip over the defense. I, I review that Tyron Tracy catch, no catch. I, I still can't find anything. He had four feet on the ground. He made a football move. And his forearm was like kind of uh, mostly under the ball when he went down. I think uh, Chad Lysko, the one register, made a good point in his DVR recap. He said that if there hadn't been that equipment malfunction as far as moving the chains, he thinks they would have reviewed the uh, – they wouldn't have reviewed the Tyrone Tracy catch. And that, uh, you know, who knows if that would have happened, if they would have kept that drive alive. Uh, but let's flip over the defense. I think the defense, rough day for Riley Moss. I think first and foremost, uh, like I said, Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn Abram really, I think, took him, not, not humbled him, because I don't think he's really had that sort of cocky attitude. I think he's got a swagger. I think there's a difference between being cocky and swagger. But, I'll get to the on-field thing in a second, but the thing that really impressed me post-game, Sean, was Riley Moss owned it. He said, yeah, I got beat a few times. I got to go back to the film room. I got to stay this up. And the quote that kind of stood out to me, and he said this is, applies to the whole defense, is it's it's not – the good players are defined by how they come back from bad plays. And after we struggled, we came back and we delivered a strong performance after we gave up that first touchdown. And I think you have to agree with him. Yeah, they got the ball down to the one-yard line, but Jack Campbell – continues to show why he's one of the Big Ten's best linebackers coming up with a huge forced fumble. And remember, Riley Moss is the one who recovered that fumble in the end zone to give him the touchback.
1: That was Justin Jacobs who forced that fumble, wasn't it?
0: They gave credit to Jack Campbell on the official oh, okay. line. I think Jacobs was in it. I think it was honestly both them, but, I, don't, I mean, they're not going to credit both of them, so I think they gave it to Campbell.
1: Okay. I thought it was Jacobs for some reason because so I feel dive. like that's what everyone was saying, but – um yeah I mean it's that whole bend don't break thing and you know yeah there's there's a little bit of concern um with how you know Keyshawn Abram or however you say his name went up on Moss but I think he's gonna be fine it'll be I think you know the rest of the way the, the receiving core I mean I'm obviously worried about David Bell um but Penn State as well as a couple of really good receivers Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington yep two really explosive playmakers and You know, it's one of those things in the secondary where, you know, you're going to have, like, you never really know what happened in between those, in between those reps and in those sets. And maybe rep Moss tried to jump it or, you know, tried to make a play when he shouldn't have. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where you just got to rely on the leadership and just understand that's okay. This guy has been in the defense for, this is his fourth year. Um he knows what he's doing now, you know, there's one or two plays where you get burned pretty bad, but you know, that happens in football. And I think you got to trust him going forward and, you know, kind of just, you know, put that behind you, obviously learn from it, but put it behind you because stuff like that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And I don't think people are really overanalyzing what happened with Riley Moss too much. And I don't think they should, Uh, let's talk about another guy real quick on defense who's emerged. I mean, you've been high on this guy ever since he got the offer. I mean, you were practically advocating for him to get the offer, but he's had a very quick impact. I mean, Lucas Van Ness is really emerging at defensive tackle, Sean. I mean, this is a guy who came in at what, 240, 245 pounds played defensive end his entire high school career. They move him into defensive tackle. He even admitted he goes, you know, I was kind of hesitant about it at first, but then he really owned it. He's put on some weight and now you're talking about a redshirt freshman who has barely played defensive tackle. And now he leads the team in t- what tackles for loss and sacks this year had an absolutely huge day on Saturday, seven tackles, two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. And, you know, for as much talk as there was about Y. A. black, and I still think he's going to be a tremendous player down the line. He's too physically gifted and he's got too much of a football attitude to not be uh, Lucas Van Ness is really, really emerging on that defensive line. For a position group that I don't want to say desperately needs guys to step up, but they need some big time producers to be able to, you know, to get pressure on the quarterback. And they respond with seven total sacks, which is the most that they've had in a game since uh, 2000 when they played against Northwestern. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
1: uh, is trying to make a music career on Friday. I'm at the airliner. We tossed for about five to 10 minutes. And I was kind of like, this defensive line is really good, like a lot better than a lot of people from the outside expect. And he's like, he, you should you should expect it. Like, you should just expect it at this point with the way that Kelvin Bell has coached these guys and the guys that they've learned that have come before them, you know, like guys like Chauncey Goldston, Jack Heflin. Davion Nixon, even Cedric Lattimore for some of them, uh, AJ Epinesa, a couple of those guys. Like just learning from those guys, and you know, going up against you know an offensive line like Iowa's every day, and you know, guys just step up and just able to produce. And you talked about Lucas Vaness a bit, and yeah, he's really been impressive. I I was kind of surprised by his Pro Football Focus grade on Sunday, or when it came out on Sunday, but I think you got to look at what he did with those two plays and. And what he did against, it was uh, Indiana, he had the other sack. I believe, yes. Yeah, so what he's done and, you know, just been disruptive because I was really surprised too when they decided to move on the interior. He looked like a true defensive end when he came into Iowa. You know, still had to put on some weight. I think he could play defensive end as well, but he's really found a home on that interior, the defensive end, and is a really good third piece there behind Noah Shannon and uh, Logan Lee.
0: And Logan Lee's gonna be a guy who I think is gonna to continue to get better and better too. And I mean, I think Kirk kind of stood up for for Logan post game. Remember, I think Logan got tapped with that uh, roughing the passer penalty for going quote unquote too high on the quarterback. Yeah, Kirk wasn't a fan of that, and I, I think it gets to the point too where if you're gonna throw a flag on that, I mean, guys are gonna be scared at the quarterback at all because they're gonna be afraid of getting a penalty on it. I mean, I, I didn't see anything egregious about that, but. I mean, Sean, we've talked about him last week, too, and I'm going to point him out two people, actually. Justin Jacobs was tremendous again on Saturday. I mean, eight tackles. This is a guy who I think is the fastest sideline-to-sideline linebacker Iowa's had in at least a decade. I know people want to say Josie Jewell. I think Jack Campbell's up there. But Justin Jacobs is just a far different athlete than that room has had in memory. And I think he's really starting to piece it together. And most importantly, he's healthy. Remember, when he came to Iowa and early enrolled, He didn't get a chance to play in the spring because he was recovering from shoulder surgery. I also think that sort of, I don't want to say slowed his development, but it slowed, it just dramatically decreased his chance of really emerging as a starting caliber guy. But I think Iowa's got luxury with him and Dane Belton on the rotation. I think Justin is a natural playmaker. And if if he can continue that upward trajectory, I mean, I I seriously think, Sean, we're going to be talking about if Iowa's back seven is probably one of the best three in the country. I think they're up there right now. And Seth Benson is just being a steady force at linebacker as well. He's never going to do anything, I think, too flashy, you know, too sexy, but this is a guy who's going to be a consistent, reliable performer. And the Iowa safeties have just been pretty consistent uh, for the most part as well. And we kind of talked about this earlier, but the, the Ben don't break mentality is definitely real with this team. I think it's been that way in the past, but the way that this group has naturally you know, every time I think a uh, a fan or a coach or someone's thinking, you know, defense really has to make a play. They've answered the call literally every single time throughout the season, even though it's only been three games. I think you got to give them a lot of credit. And another thing is, Sean, they've scored in all three, the defense has scored in all three games in in different ways, two pick sixes, a scoop and score and a safety, which is the only three ways the defense can score. And I think the safety was such a, a big growth moment, Team unity moment, because remember, the snap went over the head. Crom ran back to the end zone to go get the ball, and there are at least five or six Iowa players right in his face by the time he turns around. I think at Phil Parker, that's probably got to be one of his most proud moments. And I think that that was a huge moment uh, just for the defense, not even just in the game. I seriously think that's going to be something that they're going to be able to carry forward.
1: Yeah, I'll be interested to see how much they use Justin Jacobs this week, too. Mm -hmm. Um, with the 4-3 look, especially with uh, Colorado State using a lot of tight ends on the field and having the one in Trey McBride that is their leading receiver, and it's really not even close. Um, So it'll be fascinating to see
0: how how that comes about this week. And obviously, Dane Belton, can't forget about him. But I mean, as far as the Iowa defense goes, Sean, I mean, it's they, they they get the job done, and I think that's the most important thing. I, I think if people are really having I don't think people have any concerns. I know that they gave up a couple of big plays, but again, that's gonna happen. And the group bounced back is I believe Abram most of his damage was in the first half. I mean, Kent State really didn't do too much in that second half, if I remember off the top of my head, but um it'll be it'll be very interesting to um just to watch how this team comes out. And I'm, I mean, this Colorado State team, I, you know, it's an, moving on to Colorado State. I, I, Colorado State's a very interesting team. And I'm only saying that from this standpoint. Got killed by South Dakota State to open the season, lost to Vanderbilt. And, you know, with all due respect to Vanderbilt, and remember, former 24, our former 24 7 sports colleague, Barton Simmons, who is, I believe, their general manager, is the position they're calling up. Vanderbilt's not in a good spot right now. They are in complete total rebuild mode. They are probably one of the bottom two Power Five football teams, probably along with Kansas at the moment. Right? Fair say? Yeah, I'd say so. They lost Colorado State lost to Vanderbilt, but then they came out last week. While the offense didn't produce, they beat Toledo twenty-two to six. I know people might roll their eyes at Toledo, but Toledo nearly knocked off Notre Dame last week. So that's something I think you need to keep an eye on. But the way they did it, Sean, was a very weird thing. They had a 70 yard punt return touchdown, and they had five field goals. There's no offensive touchdowns by Colorado State in that game. So, I, again, I don't think this is going to be too much of a challenge for Iowa, but I think this is gonna be the second week in a row where this is going to be a big development week for guys like Connor Colby. Uh, Maybe throw in Ivory Kelly Martin to see if he can regain some of that confidence. This is a team that you take downfield shots for your wide receivers. Like this is the last game that Iowa can really kind of explore like certain sets and certain players that they will not be able to afford to do, even against the Maryland. I know people want to roll their eyes at Maryland because they barely survived against an Illinois team who, you know, is just not good right now I mean they're they're not playing good football but Maryland has athletes and athletes can win you football games I don't think Iowa's gonna be able to really afford to do too much trickery there so I think this is again this is I said it last week I'll say it again this is gonna be one of the biggest weeks of the season for the younger Iowa guys and I think if you want to get Ivory Kelly Martin back in the mix this is the week you're gonna have to do it
1: yeah I don't I don't disagree with you and this is the type of game and based on what Colorado State is and what I've seen they don't really they're not really too much of like an over complicated team like there's not one thing I can pick out where I'm like oh my gosh like this could be a little nerve-wracking like with Kent State I thought the run game for them was supposed to be pretty good I thought Dustin Crum being a uh, multi-dimensional quarterback with the read option and using his feet could be you know an interesting test but Colorado State I think's got an okay defense nothing really too good I think their defensive line is pretty solid. I know they have a couple guys in the defensive uh, end spots that have been really good this year, really disruptive. Have a couple linebackers that are solid. Defense is not really good when it comes to creating turnovers, but yeah, this could be a game where you know it could be a tougher test for the offensive line, but you know, if you want to get that vertical pass game going, then this could definitely be an option for that. And who knows, maybe we'll see more Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce this week. I think that would be really something fascinating. I'd love, you know, I personally, I'd like to see Tracy and Charlie Jones and Nico Regani continue to get more involved, but, you know, being able to see Johnson and Bruce would really be a would really be a nice surprise, especially if you can get them over the top and you know get them those open looks downfield and you know stretch Petrus' arm out a little more. I know that's kind of the hot topic that everyone's talked about, but you know I think this is a game where it's more likely that Iowa does that to exploit Colorado State's weaknesses than you know maybe they did against Kent State last week.
0: Yeah, I totally forgot about the Arlen Bruce Keegan Johnson look because they did throw them more out. Uh, last game. And I really like the Arlen Bruce had the uh, his first career catch went for six yards, but Sean, he was close to breaking that. He had the one guy to be, I think he kind of ankle tackled him. And who knows how he could have, how far he could have gone after that. I like seeing them get involved. And I think that was a good move by Iowa because again, it goes back to my earlier point. When are you really going to be able to test these guys out besides games like Kent state, like a Colorado state, like these are the weeks that you want to be able to experiment with some of those guys. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that this week. But, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of look Iowa does. I I think it's fair to say, too, with the Kent State game, I think it was a bit of an emotional hangover from Iowa. I know people don't, like, want, don't want to hear that excuse, but you talk about opening up against a Big Ten opponent after not having a crowd for a year. There's going to be a lot of emotions on that. And then going to Iowa State, a top-10 team at the time, rivalry game. I mean, those are two back-to-back, very emotionally taxing games. Then to come back to – Iowa city and host a Mac team. Not that they didn't get up for it because they all said they thought they had a good week in preparation, but I mean, you know how games go. I mean, this is just the way that it goes in the season. And, you know, I will say this too, this is a very important point that people are overlooking. I know because everybody wants to hop on, you know, blaming Petrus, blaming Brian Ferentz for whatever they're doing. There's something that people need to remember about this team. They've won their last nine games, and one of them have been by single digits, and that was a six-point win against Nebraska. Iowa is legitimately beating teams by two or more touchdowns in almost every single game, and every single one of those last nine wins have come against Power Five opponents, other than Kent State. I mean, the reality is, you know, people can nitpick what they want to do, but Steve, you know, uh, Kirk Ferentz and all those guys are gonna care about one thing: they're winning. They don't care how they do it they're winning. And I think that at this point with Iowa ranked fifth in the nation, yeah, there's things they're going to improve upon. The guys know that. But the one thing that they know they won't be able to improve throughout the season, if they slip up, it's the win-loss column. And right now they're 3-0 and they've won their past nine games. And it's the first time in school history that they've scored 25 or more points in nine straight games. I mean – Yeah, it's
1: just building. It's just building on these games. And that's why, you know, a lot of people – kind of, you know, look away from these games or not really invested in it. But, you know, these two non-conference games are really, really important to get that, you know, extra, just like extra, not practice, but like just extra reps and extra, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just that extra exposure to each other on the playing field. Because it's a lot different from the practice field going up against – different teams and, you know, game planning, scheming for these different teams and, you know, just getting ready for them because, you know, Big Ten teams, they bring a lot of different different dynamics, um, especially with some of the teams that Iowa has coming forward. It'd be really, really interesting to see how all that occurs and how all that, you know, comes together from these next few games. Because, you know, you can look at these games and say, okay, you know, so-and-so stood out against Kent State. So and so will stand out against Colorado State. But not that doesn't necessarily mean that those guys are going to stand out in those games, but other guys could take away certain things from those games and build on it and then look forward and yeah. you know be able to propel themselves. Um, and you know, be just more comfortable on the field and you know make a big play here or there. That one thing that they saw that they didn't do from this game um, can come into effect in this next game. And that makes a lot of a difference, maybe because I mean they didn't do it in the last game. Um, so yeah, it's just these these the games are just so vital to development. And you know, obviously as beat writers, I know a lot of people were just like, "Oh, let's get this game over with um, on Saturday." But you know, from a
0: team perspective, I think from a coaching perspective too, these these games are just so important. I think the one thing that you said that stood out to me, Sean, was it's something that the coaches and players have all said to us time and time again throughout covering the team. You cannot simulate in-game reps. Same thing with basketball. That's why even like minor, even minor snaps, you know, three or four minutes of play on the field, it's a different speed. It's a different dynamic. It's something that you cannot simulate in practice. And that's why they said, you know, that's why the four game rule for red shirt Freshman now, it's so valuable. You can get those guys in and save their eligibility, and that those four games will pay dividends down the stretch of those guys' careers because they've been in those spots before. So I, I really don't believe there's such thing as a meaningless snap, especially in football when it comes to that sort of stuff or garbage time minutes. Like you can, like yeah, to us it's garbage time. To fans, it's garbage time. To whatever, but for the guys that are out there, it really does pay dividends for them going forward. <clears throat> but as far as Colorado State, Sean, I think we'll wrap this up. Let's go with a couple of things you're looking for in a final score prediction. And for people who actually want more insight to Colorado State, the team, Sean's already put up a bunch of pieces on HawkeyeInsider.com, giving you uh, an in-depth look at Colorado State. And obviously we'll have our preview coverage throughout the week, including Kirk Ferentz's press conference tomorrow, along with what some of the players will be saying. So stay tuned for that. So, Sean, give me. Give me at least a couple of things you're looking for for Iowa to really get going or maybe a certain guy to get going against Colorado State. Some of your storylines pass, pass tech, going over the top, definitely the run
1: blocking. Because I think Colorado State does a pretty good job of getting pressure on the quarterback, especially from the guys on the outside. So you'd like to see more from Nick DeYoung and uh, Mason Richmond, defensive dominance. Because I think that's going to come into play on Saturday. I don't think Colorado State will be able to move ball down the field granted their quarterbacks a little pretty a decent amount mobile but he's not like a Dustin crumb or anything and i think you know just building off ken state game and uh riley moss maybe having an interception after getting burned a couple times on saturday you know not a
0: whole lot i think it's more on the offense honestly yeah i think it's gonna be hard to take away things from the defense in this game now i i think it's an overmatch I think if if we find any if we learn anything about Iowa's defense, Sean, and if we're talking about their defense come next week, I don't see that as a good thing, because that will mean that they've gotten burned a couple of times and Colorado State found different ways to kind of get going against them. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, what we should be writing on Saturday, Sunday, or whatever when we're talking about this should be, I mean, Iowa's defense did what they were supposed to do. I, I think it's gonna be hard to take anything. Other the only other thing I will say maybe besides that is if they get the younger defensive line guys sometime and they make a big couple big plays, because again, that will pay dividends going forward. I, I really like, you know, I'm going to get some, maybe some heat for this. I, I would like to see Kirk Ferentz, not right away, maybe in the second quarter, try to get Ivory Kelly Martin going one more time. Because again, I, it, it's not a big 10 game. It's against an overmatched opponent. If you are going to try to have him get that confidence back, it's going to have to be against Colorado State because if Ivory Kelly Martin turns the ball over against Big Ten foes, that's the type of stuff that costs you Big Ten West division titles. That's what costs you Big Ten titles. That's not championship-level football. So I would like to see Ivory Kelly Martin get going a little bit. And like what you said, I think everybody wants to see it. They have to find a way to attack over the top. they they got to be aggressive. I know a lot of people are making a big deal about the 20-play drive that they had against Kent State, and I think there are a lot of positives to take away from that especially in terms of like third down conversions, constantly moving the chains, knowing that they can physically overwhelm their opponents. I mean, that's a, something that just as an offensive line for guys like that, that's such, a, that's such a confidence booster. such an ego thing that really pushes them forward. But, you know, the flip side of this too, and not a lot of people are like this, Sean, they, they did it against a Mac team. Like a 20-play drive against a Mac team, it's iowa football it's it's big 10 football they're not supposed to have 20 play drives against that sort of team especially if they're a top five team in the country again i think there are a lot of good things to take away from that but as far as using that 20 play drive as a big confidence building block going forward i don't really buy into that notion i think that's a bit ridiculous but you can take away the conversion rates you can take away hey you know what we got the feeling of this is how we do it but as far as kind of holding your head high because of that i i really don't see that as a good thing now if you're doing that against a michigan state or a penn state or someone absolutely i mean that, that that's 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 such a big thing i think going forward but anyway yeah i'd like to see i will open up the passing attack ivory kelly martin get going and then like you said the run blocking i'd like to see connor colby get the start i think he deserves it based on everything that we've seen so far so uh sean give me your final prediction
1: I'm gonna say Iowa 40, Colorado State seven. I think it's gonna be a similar score to Saturday, except a few
0: more points on the board for Iowa. I'll go. I'm gonna go back to my same prediction I had against. Nah, uh, a little bit different. I'm gonna go Iowa 45. I'm gonna Colorado State six. I don't think Colorado State finds the end zone. I think they hit a pair of field goals because their kicker's proven that he's a pretty good field goal kicker. Hey everybody. David Eichel here for HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean had to dip out a little bit early before we answered your questions, but I decided to stick around and make sure that we got to them. So let's dive right into some of them on our board. Is less than stellar offensive line play caused by core, poor quarterback play, poor line play, bad play calling, or combination of all three? You know, I think there's a little bit of truth in some of that in each of them. I really don't think Spencer Petras has played poorly. I know people are really upset that they haven't seen these downfield threats. They haven't taken many shots downfield. Spencer's taken some sacks on third down. He's done a lot of check down passes. But the reality is with the way Iowa football wins games, Kirk Farns prioritizes time of possession, physically dominating the game, and not playing mistake football being mistake-free football. And right now, there's only been one throw, I think, this season that Petrus has really put in maybe harm's way, and that was against Kent State on a screen that was just beautifully read by the Golden Flash cornerback, who nearly came up with the INT. But, you know, I do think O-line plays had a big part of it. I think Spencer, while being comfortable in the pocket, knows that, you know, he doesn't have the sort of offensive tackle protection that he had last year with the Larry Jackson and Mark Kallenberger. And some of those guys, I was a more veteran oriented offensive line. I think a very good thing this year, specifically on Saturday, Iowa did not give up a sack. They only had six tackles for loss and Spencer Petras for the most part, uh, kept his Jersey clean. He had three, there were three quarterback hits. um, And on the flip side Iowa had seven uh, sacks and 10 tackles for loss. So I think that's a very good thing that the Iowa defense can sort of hang its hat on. I think Brian Ferentz is like most games throughout his career. I think he's had some tremendous play calls. And I think he's had some where you're kind of left scratching your head. And the reality is he's still a relatively new offensive coordinator. And he's not this, you know, I know a lot of people want him to be the stellar play caller. It's going to take time. I think the the guy knows football and he's still trying to stay true to Iowa football wind the clock, run the football, physically dominate the opponent and do different things. Would I like to see more downfield shots? Would people like to? Yeah. But when you look back on film at Spencer Petrus, I really, there have been a couple, you know, like every game, I think there's been a couple of throws he'd want back, but I also don't think that he's missed that many receivers open downfield for the most part. Not Especially not to the number that everybody thinks that there has been. So, a little bit of a combination of all three. I do think once they get more consistent offensive line play, I think that's going to dramatically change the trajectory and the ceiling for this offense. The O-line can get consistent, get confidence, and stay healthy. I think that's to be a big thing going forward. Overall health, health status of the team, update on Ethan Herket and Logan Jones. Yeah, Logan Jones uh, is still working his way back from a knee injury, which is why he's not playing. He suffered it. I believe in spring ball. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. I would anticipate him returning sometime uh, maybe in the next month or so. As far as her I haven't heard anything between the lines. I do anticipate that uh, Kirk Ferentz will give us an update tomorrow on Tuesday during his weekly press conference. Uh, Just in case people didn't know, Ethan did leave the game helped off by two trainers on the field Saturday against Kent state. I can't remember precisely what quarter, but he's gotten some good time this year and, He's shown some nice ability. Let's see. So did Kent State scheme to take Charlie Jones out of the passing the game? Seems like not many targets. You know, I don't want to say they scheme specifically against him. And, you know, with all due respect to Iowa's wide receivers, I do think are very talented. I mean, Jones was leading wide receiver going into the game. But keep in mind, that was still only, I believe, 38 yards or two games. I don't think they're going to really overly scheme on a guy like that. But – I do think Iowa is more conservative with their play calling because of Kent State leading the nation in interceptions. They had eight interceptions on the year, which led the nation heading into this game. So Iowa ran a lot of tunnel screens, a lot of bubble screens. I believe Charlie Jones was targeted a couple of times in the screen game, but just didn't end up panning out. Now there were a couple of times where I thought Spencer locked on to Jones downfield. Uh, they just ended up having to check down at the very last second. But Jones was covered up, I thought, for the most part. And I think you have to give Kent State crap for that, too. So I, I don't think that's necessarily something to worry about. And as far as the target thing, you know, that could be by design. But I will say I, I was not opposed to what Brian Ferentz and them did from this standpoint. Iowa had to find a way to get Tyrone Tracy involved. He's too good a receiver not to be involved. I think he's the most talented receiver on the roster, especially when he gets going. So I really liked him getting seven targets, five catches. Should have been six, but officially five. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too much into that. Charlie Jones will be a factor going forward. The fake punt was a terrible call. Uh, happened at least twice. Iowa schemed up a two-yard route when they needed 10 yards on third down. Yeah, you know, I think the screenplays, especially after he ran them on first and second down, I really liked, would have liked to see Iowa go downfield more on those. It was very Greg Davis-esque. At that time, uh, whether it be, you know, third and six, let's call four yard out route. It was kind of those type of vibes. I think what Brian was trying to do though is keep the defense on their heels, you know, get blockers out in space and give them all the playmakers in space. There was one I do remember that Tyrone Tracy just ended up slipping on his feet. But I mean, if he didn't slip, he was getting another 15 yards or so. And that would have been a really good play call. I still think it was a good play call, but a lot of slipping from Iowa players and players in general on Duke Slater Field on Saturday. So but as far as the fake punt, yeah, I, you know, that was one thing I was kind of kicking myself after the game. I did not ask why they did what they did, especially after taking the delay of game. I mean, I get trying, maybe trying to sell the fake, but you might be trying a little bit too hard if you're taking a five-yard penalty to make it fourth and nine instead of fourth and four, and then you throw a two or three-yard route to Sam Laporta from an Australian punter who has really never thrown a football in his life. So I I don't disagree. I was not a big fan of the call. I think that would have been a great call in a Big Ten game. And I think it kind of, you know, we'll see if they really gave that plan away for the rest of the season. But I will say Iowa it wasn't that big of a surprise when you look at the film. I mean, LaPorta went in motion very much not like the normal punt scheme that Iowa runs. So I think Kent State did a good job of sniffing it out as well. Uh, who got pulled when Roberts got into the, into the game? Yeah, I'll need to answer you on the board, our VIP board at hawkeyeinsider.com for that. Um, I didn't, I don't have that in front of me, but I'll tell you what. I meant to bring this up earlier. Terry Roberts has done a heck of a job. He had that big fourth down, pass deflection. He had a couple of really big plays uh, on the part-turn game. I mean, if you talk about having special teams All-American, I mean, that's exactly Terry Roberts. I think he's proven more that he's going to be more than a special teams player in his career. I've been very impressed, and a guy who owns taking special teams and owns having his niche be special teams, I think that shows the type of teammate he is as well. So I think that was a, uh, a good call. But I will say, as far as who's getting pulled, uh, I don't think anybody got pulled. I think that was just the defensive scheme as well, because uh, Iowa went and dime at that point ball needs to see who they took off the field specifically so that roberts could go take that spot but i i liked the uh play call by phil parker and i liked seeing terry roberts get into the game i think that was a very good thing as well uh not many linemen started as true freshmen outside when absolutely necessary the line has been some of a question mark the beginning of the season would you say that is the reason for colby playing as early as he has or is he so talented that we can't keep him off the field do you think coaches think he is future first round material no, Connor Colby, I think, I think he's just good enough to be on the field. I don't see that as a detriment to the room. you got to keep in mind, I think Iowa's O-line room right now is incredibly talented, especially the younger guys, but they need reps, they need practice. But, I mean, you're talking about guys like David Davidkoff, who I think is going to be an absolute stud at offensive tackle in his career. Connor Colby, I think, has been one of Iowa's best linemen outside of, obviously, Tyler Linderbaum, who was in his own category at that point. No, I think Connor Colby has earned every snap he's played. I think he's going to continue to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, I really would like to see him get a starting role this weekend. I think he deserves it. I think he's a heck of a talent. Top 247 lineman, four-star guy by 24-7 sports. So, I, you know, and I will say, I don't think coaches are thinking, you know, about his NFL draft stock, especially publicly. But Connor Colby was an early enrollee, and I think it shows a lot about Colby when asked about Colby at Media Day, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz said, yeah, he continued to get better and better each practice, and after 15 practices, he said, I can confidently say I think he's going to have a really, really good career at the University of Iowa, and I think that's all you need to hear. I mean, a guy only has 15 practices in his career, and he's already getting that sort of praise from, you know, a potential Hall of Fame coach, and Kirk Ferentz, and Iowa's all-time wing as head coach, who's been around the game the longest, so I think that sort of sums it up. So as an Iowa fan, I think you should be excited about what Connor Colby uh, is going to bring to the table. Last one, overall thoughts on 2022 class, any interesting new targets developing that we may add by the time December rolls around. Yeah. We'll start a separate thread about that on our VIP boards. Uh, so be sure to check that out, but I will say this about 2022 class. It's not going to be big. I know a lot of people are freaking out about the ranking, but I really do like the haul that iowa's got right now and they're in excellent position i'm not ready to go front runner but they are one of the top two places for the nation's number one safety five-star safety Xavier Nwankwa out southeast polk iowa's success early this season has opened his eyes especially from the secondary and that's the type of guy that is an absolute game breaker and if he um if he does go to Iowa. I think he's going to, you know, make quite make something of himself and it'll be very interesting to see if Iowa can finish the job there. I mean, what Iowa's done with three star, you know, two and three star DBs, getting a five star one, especially one in state, I think would be a very, very big ripple effect. Not even just for him, but for maybe other elite recruits around the country. And Xavier is a very social kid. He kind of keeps quiet in interviews and stuff, but he's got a good following and he's pretty respected by a lot of the players around the country. So it'll be very I'm curious how his recruitment's going to go. I would look for Iowa and Notre Dame as probably the two front runners right now, and I know confidently that both camps feel very good about where they sit. Uh, but this one's far from over, so that'll be interesting to watch. But to go back to the 2022 class really quick, Aaron Graves of the Southeast Valley in Iowa. He's he's an absolute stud, athletic freak, six foot six, 265 pounds, incredibly strong. That was such a big early commitment for the class. Caden Crawford had 23 tackles the other night as a linebacker. He's going to play defensive line at Iowa. I really like Jacob Bostic, uh, the wide receiver, out Palatine, Illinois, high three-star guy there. And he could see a rise in his ranking based off what I've kind of talked to between the lines. I really liked what Iowa's got in him as a wide receiver. And then Ostranga from Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, I think he's going to be a developmental guy, but I think he's going to be a very good, Tight end prospect as well, and then I think Iowa's done a very good job of keeping that sort of pipeline going with, uh, you know, Kale Crow from Huxley, Iowa, uh, Jack Dotsler from Wisconsin. Iowa locking that down, and I really do like Carson May at quarterback. Uh, six foot five, two hundred twenty five pounder. His team's not off to the best start, but he's played excellent at quarterback for them. Big, powerful arm. He's a little bit mobile, and uh, I think he's a guy that again a little bit of development, but I think he's got future as well. And just Sean Patterson from Deerfield Beach, Florida, running back high three star caliber guy. He's off to a good start this season after shedding some weight this past offseason. So I'm very curious when he gets on campus uh, where he's going to sort of fit, because he's a guy I believe he's going to be an early enrollee. He's a big power back, also a little bit of speed with him as well. So I'm a big fan of him. Only nine commits in the class right now, but. I think is being very, very picky about who they really grab. So it's going to be interesting to kind of watch him, watch them going forward. And uh, we'll have you covered at hawkeyeinsider.com. So again, David Eicholt, Sean Bach, appreciate you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks.